Filled with wrath and despair, he mounted Rokalar and rode forth alone, and none might restrain him. He passed over like a wind amid the dust, and all that beheld his onset fled in amaze, thinking Orme himself was come. For a great madness of rage was upon him, so that his eyes shone like the eyes of the Valar. Thus he came alone to Angband's gates, and he sounded his horn, and smote once more upon the brazen doors, and challenged Morgoth to come forth in single combat. And Morgoth came. Hey guys. Hey there. Welcome back. Welcome back to Keep on Tolkien. Or welcome for the first time. Either way. Either way, welcome. Yeah, I'm Joel N. And I'm Danny J. And we are here with you guys today with episode 33. And this is part two of our new cool three-part series of this season. Princes of the Noldor. Princes of the Noldor, where we cover... Any princes of the Noldor we really feel like yeah. talking about? Whoever the hell we feel like. Yeah, because there's a lot of them out there's there. There's a lot of princes, man. And they're all really good characters. But they're today... All cool. Well, some of them aren't so cool. No, some of them are douchebags. Some of them are douchebags. Straight up. But today, we're going to be talking about one of my personal favorites. I think he might be my personal favorite of the princes. Fingolfin, son yeah. of Finway. Yeah, yeah. The most valiant of all, right? Oh, yeah. He gets a lot of, he gets a lot of high praise and, and credit. Oh, yeah. So who is Fingolfin? Let's start there. Yeah, who, let's who just start he? off. Let's start off fresh from the bottom. Who is Fingolfin, son of Finway? Yeah. So, so first off, son of Finway. Well, at one point he was the high king of the Noldor, not just a prince. Mm-hmm. And that was at the very beginning of the first age. So he was the first high prince of the Noldor in the first age. Yeah, and a lot of these prince uh, princes of the Noldor series we're doing, a lot of them will be king at some point. Right. More but they are all point. princes of the Noldor for life, but they sometimes become king. So Yeah, a lot of right. them end up dying. Yeah. As you Spoiler come to alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. A lot of the princes <laughs> of the Noldor die. <laughs> so yeah, um, he be, yeah, so he's one of the high king of the Noldor at the beginning of the first age. Another quick fun fact about Fingolfin, as you may have gathered from that opening excerpt, uh he is actually the only elf to have ever fought Melkor in hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, and we'll get all up in that yeah, in a that's, little bit. Yeah, that's such a rich scene. So let's jump into some uh, some names for, for Fingolf. And he doesn't have too many. Uh, one of his, his actual name is Nolo Finway. He's also got the title of High King of the Noldor and King of Hithlum. Yeah, yeah. So let's get right into it, man. Let's go back to origins. Boom, boom. Yeah, beginning. the very beginning of his life. So where are we born? We're born... In the city of Tyrion, in the noontide of Valinor, in Year of the Trees, 1190. Yeah, this is probably the most beautiful place and time for the elves to be living. Yeah, this is the dopest shit. Yeah, I mean, during the height of the trees of Valinor is supposed to be just... I don't even know how to put it into words. It's supposed to be gorgeous. Yeah, the blended light of the trees. Just a complete utopia over in Valinor. Yeah. So, Fingolfin, as uh, you may have heard in our last episode about Feanor, he was the son of Finway and Indus, which is Finway's second marriage. Right, right, because his first marriage didn't turn out so well, which, yeah, we talked about, we talked all about in the last episode. Yeah, so that makes Fingolfin the half-brother of Feanor, 
Uh, he's the whole brother of Finarfin, who is another son of the wedding of Finway and Indus. Fingolfin is also described as, of the sons of Finway, the strongest, the most steadfast, and the most valiant, which is a lot of praise. Yeah, for, yeah, for, especially for, uh, among the Noldor, you know what I mean? Right, because in my mind, I had always considered Feanor to be the strongest. Right, yeah. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's directly written in the Silmarillion that apparently Fingolfin is the strongest. Is the strongest. I guess uh, Feanor had the most fiery spirit. Right. So uh, he also had some pretty famous uh, children. Well, two famous children and one who is scarcely mentioned. Right. <laughs> so we got Fingon. Uh, he later became High King of the Noldor as well. He's the eldest son of uh, Fingolfin here. And Turgon, who's uh, the King of Gondolin, the Hidden City. Yeah, we've talked about him a few times in the yeah, past. Yeah, you guys know him. Yeah, y'all know. Y'all know him. <laughs> and then his uh, Fingolfin's third child, the less spoken of, Aradel the White. Yes. The uh, mother of Maglin. The mother of Maglin, yes. She's kidnapped by Aeol, the yep. dark elf. And mm-hmm. So at one point, married. she's for, yeah, forcefully wedded to Aeol. Yeah. And they have that whole unhappy storyline. Uh, you can refer back to our Tuor story. Yeah, yeah. Learn all about that. In season one, I forget the episode. But, I mean, other than his origins and his family, there really isn't a whole lot of information about Fingolfin's early life. Other than, hey, he was born here, <laughs> this was his family. Yeah, it's kind of like Jesus in that it just kind of jumps in. Right. It's like he was born of Indus and then, boop, he's an adult. <laughs> yeah, most of the information starts around the time of his the marriage of his parents and then it jumps right over into his conflicts with Fanor, which doesn't even happen until mm-hmm. they're full-grown adults. Yeah, and I assume that they've been adults for a while at that point. Right, yeah. Because they're cause elves. So yeah. this might be 500 years into their full adulthood. Who knows? Yeah, they're old as hell. They're old. The Years of the Trees is, is a strange time, because I think the passing of time was a bit different, because this is before the sun and the moon. Yeah, so who knows what a year really is. Yeah, a year in the Year of the Trees versus a year of the sun and the moon, the vastly different time spans. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless... So most of the information starts around his initial conflicts with his brother Feanor, which I'm sure we've we've covered pretty well in the Feanor episode previously, but we're gonna we're gonna kinda run it down. And now we come to Melkor and the Unrest of the Noldor, which uh is just after the noontide of the Year of the Trees. Yeah, this is where things start to go downhill. Yeah, this is where it really starts to happen as soon as Melkor gets involved. Go figure. So while they lived in Amman, there was always strife between the sons of Indus and the sons of Muriel. And uh, was really only one son of Muriel, Feanor. Yeah, so between Feanor <laughs> and his half-brothers. Uh, but, I mean, Fingolfin, he'd always try to forge a better relationship with Feanor at most chances that he had. He was always kind of open to making things better. Feanor, always kind of hot-headed. He's always on, kind of always on the edge. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, at this time that uh, one of the biggest blunders in the history of the Valar happens. <laughs> <laughs> they let Melkor go after three ages in captivity. Yeah, this is the time when Melkor is released. Yeah, and then he's like, I'll be good. And then they're like, all right, just move along. Get, get out of here. Yeah, just go on, on about your business. But Tulkas is always looking after him. Yeah, Tulkas was uh, always kind of uh, looking over his shoulder. Mandos was pretty against it initially, wasn't he? He spoke yeah. against release. Mandos uh, doesn't like mercy. No, he remembers. Mandos <laughs> remembers. Yeah, he didn't like... Uh, we talked about that in the Valar episode. He didn't... He counseled against uh, the Valar forgiving the Noldor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, nope. But nonetheless, because Manway cannot really conceive evil, 
he doesn't really understand it. He says, all right, why not? So they release Melkor. And after he's released, he's not well-received among everyone. Obviously, no. there's some bad blood there. He did some fucked-up shit before they put him in captivity. Yeah. But the Noldor of the clans of the elves, the Noldor specifically are pretty receptive of him because of how much they thirst for knowledge and how much knowledge Melkor was willing to give them. Right. And by all, for all intents and purposes... Melkor's pretty much the smartest guy around. Oh, yeah. Because he knows everything, a little bit about everything. Or, like, a, he knows a decent amount about everything. Like, Right, like period. we covered uh, episode one of this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the Valar episode, he got more than just one part of the mind of Ilavatar mm-hmm. when the Ainur were created. So he's, he's pretty knowledgeable. I feel like that Valar episode is going to become, like, the Sundering of the Elves episode in which we just refer back to it, like, yeah, nonstop. Yeah, refer back. Yeah, refer back. You know Mandos talk about him in the Valor episode. Yeah, go check it out. <laughs> but yeah, like the Noldor, they really dig Melkor. I mean, they they like his uh his the knowledge that he can give to them. Yeah, I mean, he was initially being just being let free. He was pretty fair in speech, you yeah. know. He he was trying to play nice with everybody. So he's trying sure. to get on everyone's good side. Really worked with the Noldor. Yeah, and he did that for quite a while, too. Yeah, he did. And after he got everyone's praise, that's when he started secretly sowing some lies and misinformation throughout the Noldor. Mm. They're always so eager to soak up that knowledge and they never stop to question whether or not all of it was true. So do you think Melkor invented fake news? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's safe to say (laughs) Melkor was the one that invented fake news. Fake news, guys. Before they knew it was fake. (laughs) Um, so this uh, this sowing of lies and misinformation throughout the Noldor, this only deepened the wedge between Feanor and his half-brothers, Fingolfin and uh, Finarfin. Yeah, he went right for that because he saw that as the weakest link. Yeah, Feanor being the most hot-headed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was like, this is going to be a perfect situation to take advantage of, and he does. And Feanor's also prideful, and uh, Melkor always knows he can exploit people's pride. Yeah, so he told Feanor that Fingolfin was going to try to usurp usurp Feanor as the rightful heir to Finway, because Feanor is firstborn. Yes. Yes. So he's trying to make him think, oh, Fingolfin's going to try to steal the kingship from you. Mm-hmm. And likewise, he tells Fingolfin something similar. Something similar. That Feanor's going to try to screw him over somehow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this just makes things even worse in their family. Talk about family issues. Yeah. And yeah, eventually uh, the lies really started to take roots in the in the minds of the Mal- the, oh, the, the minds of the Noldor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, a number of the Noldor started to believe that the Valar were somehow restraining them and holding them from leaving and going back to Middle-earth, where they came from. Yeah, so after High King Finway caught whiff of uh, some of this unrest going around, he summoned all of the lords of his house to a big council to try to resolve the issue. You know, he's trying to make things better. You know, let's communicate. So Fingolfin, you know, being pretty prompt, he was the first one to arrive at the council and... Uh, as he was there early, he was trying to talk to his father about potentially restraining the rash actions of Feanor, because Feanor does act pretty rashly, that is true. He does. But uh, poor timing, because as he's talking about this with his father, Feanor himself comes striding in. Not only that, he comes in fully armed. Fully armed to the teeth. Yeah, which is the first time any weapons have been like openly brandished anywhere ever. Yeah, and who taught them how to make weapons? Melkor. Melkor. Yeah, the the Valar didn't teach them that. Aule didn't teach them how to make swords. Yeah. So this is when we get a con- our first conflict 
one of our first big conflicts between Feanor and Fingolfin. We got a little excerpt from the, uh, the chapter in the Silmarillion. But even as Fingolfin spoke, Feanor strode into the chamber, and he was fully armed, his high helm upon his head, and at his side a mighty sword. So it is, even as I guessed, he said. My half-brother would be before me with my father, in this as in all other matters. Then, turning upon Fingolfin, he drew his sword, crying, Get thee gone and take thy due place. Fingolfin bowed before Finway, and without word or glance to Feanor, he went from the chamber. But Feanor followed him, and at the doors of the king's house he stayed him, and at the point of his bright sword he set against Fingolfin's breast. See, half-brother, he said, this is sharper than thy tongue. Try but once more to usurp my place in the love of my father, and maybe it will rid that Noldor of one who seeks to be the master of thralls. Yeah, so we got Feanor making quite a scene here at this, what was supposed to be a nice council to figure out what was going on. I love how both of us read Feanor dialogue there, and we both had the same voice for Feanor. I think it's because we're both basing it totally off of... Of uh, the, the dude from the audiobook. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is the Feanor voice. Robert... Is awesome. uh, Martin Shaw. Martin Shaw. Martin Shaw. He's awesome. Read... Uh, get that the Silmarillion by Martin Shaw. He's fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. That audiobook is wonderful. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we've got Feanor here making public threats to Fingolfin the first time anyone's ever brandished a weapon and he straight up sets it on Fingolfin's chest and His threatens brother. to basically kill him. Yeah, he'll kill him right there. But I mean, after such a public scene, the uh, the whole source of all these problems and misinformation was was figured out pretty quickly. Yeah, they pretty quickly got in the mind. After that, everyone was kind of like, what the whoa, fuck whoa, is going whoa. on here? Hold on, everyone hates each other for no reason is very confused? Jeez, I wonder who's involved. Yeah, and then eventually they figured out, oh, it's because Melkor's been fucking telling everyone loads of shit. So at that point, they realize it's Melkor, but it's too late. And this is when we get to the uh, what they call the Darkening of Valinor and the Journey to Middle-Earth. This is at the end, the tail end of the Years of the Trees, guys. Yeah, this is kind of the decline of everything. So Melkor, having been found out, of course, is nowhere to be found. Exactly. And he had quickly uh, fled south over to the dark region of Avathar. And there he meets and allied with the demon that takes the shape of a monstrous spider, Ungoliant. Have we talked about Ungoliant before? Which, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about her. Yeah, we've mentioned Ungoliant, I think, a couple times. Yeah, we talked about her at length in the Women in Tolkien episode. I'm pretty yes, sure. yeah, Ungoliant and uh, one of Ungoliant's famous spawns, good old Shelob. Shelob. Yeah, so in the year 1495 of the Years of the Trees, this is when Manway holds a feast for the reconciliation of the of the Eldar. It's a it's a big feast, basically. It's a big holiday that they hold yearly in in Valinor. And at this this feast, Fingolfin he publicly forgives Feanor. Yeah, I think it's been a while at this point. I think uh, as a result... Wasn't it like seven years or something, something like, like that? Something like uh, Yeah, Feanor got kicked out. He was out. banished from Tyrion for, for, I think, seven years. Right. Yeah. But they invited him to this party, and everyone's in a good mood, and there Fingolfin publicly forgives Feanor, and everything seems to be all peachy again. We got a lovely little quote about what happens at the party. Then Feanor took his hand in silence, but Fingolfin said... 
Half-brother in blood, full brother in heart will I be. Thou shalt lead, and I will follow. May no new grief divide us. I hear thee, said Feanor. So be it. But they did not know the meaning that their words would bear. Dun-dun-dun. Lovely foreshadowing. Yeah, when you read the Silmarillion like a second time, you're like, man, there's a lot of foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. Of the shitstorm to come. Yeah, when you know what's coming and you read some of these lines, you're just like, oh. You're like, oh, boy. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, you don't even know what that means. So during this lovely feast where everybody seems to be all hunky-dory again, um, this is when Melkor and Ungoliant make their move. They take advantage of this big distraction and they assault and destroy the two trees of Valinor. It's probably the worst crime that anyone's ever committed. That anyone's ever committed. And then shortly after that, isn't that uh, on their way out, that's when he kills Finway, right? Yes, he goes up to Formanos, kills Finway, steals a whole shitload of jewels, and most importantly... The Silmarils. The three Silmarils. And dips the fuck out. Yeah, so this is basically the breaking point for Feanor's decision to leave Valinor. Up until this point, that's kind of what Melkor had been wanting to happen. All of his lies and deceit. He was trying to kind of campaign for them to leave. Yeah. He was trying to fuck everything up. And even though he's gone now, he's just dipped out of Valinor, his plan is still coming to fruition. Because now Feanor is just hell-bent on revenge against him, basically. Yeah, Feanor is uh, on the warpath, as it were. So after the death of High King Fenway, Feanor rallies up all of the Noldor that he can get, and he gave a passionate speech urging the Noldor to leave Valinor. Yeah, this is like the George Patton from Patton, the movie, speech. This is going to get everybody. This is going to get everybody up. Yeah, and he convinced pretty much everybody. Yeah, no, yeah, no, almost all almost all the Noldor, yeah. Uh, and Fingolfin thought it would be unwise to leave, but he didn't want to abandon his people to the lash, rash leadership of Feanor. So he thought that Feanor was uh, not the greatest leader, and he didn't want to have his uh, his people subject to that. Yeah, I think that's just a good, you know, that's a good example of Fingolfin being a good leader. Because even though he doesn't want to go and leave Valinor with Feanor, he realizes that's what his people are doing, and he does not want to leave his people up to the uh, the rash leadership of fucking Feanor. So he goes with them to try to, I guess, help them, save them from poor leadership. Yeah. And also, how would it look? He just told them, where you go, I follow. Right, exactly. Yeah. After they had this lovely heart-to-heart moment. So he's making good on his promise. And Fingolfin also had the largest host of the Noldor that were going to leave on the journey. So all the Noldor decided to go, and Fingolfin led the majority of them, which also caused them to travel slower. Yeah, the Fe- Fe- yeah, Feanor's host was all out there like, let's fucking do it, man, let's get out of here, and they just took off. Yeah, they just booked it. They're, they're all inspired to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine Feanor's friends would be almost as fiery as he. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so not long after setting out, uh, Feanor, in his attempt to get to Middle-earth, he realizes he needs boats to get there, so he tries to seize the fleet of the Teleri ships in order to get to Middle-earth. Yeah, and what this uh, what this turns into is uh, a big misunderstanding that generally becomes known as the kinslaying of El Quilande. And that being um, the Teleri weren't going to give him... Well, it's more confusing. It's confusing in more ways than one. Uh, you'll see why. We'll get into it right now. Yeah, like we mentioned, Feanor's host 
was moving quicker. So they arrived to the uh, the Taliri first. They arrived to El Colande first. And they're the ones that were very insistent upon taking the ships. Mm-hmm. Fingolfin would not have wanted to do that, obviously. But Feanor, since he was there first and no one else was there yet, he decided he was going to go ahead and try to fucking fight the Taliri to take the ships. Yeah. That was not a misunderstanding. That was just Feanor being a dick. Mm-hmm. The problem came when Fingolfin came late to the fight. Yeah. So he came with the largest host of Noldor, and they come up to Al Quilande, uh, this wonderful bay where they have all these beautiful ships, and they see that all of a sudden the fucking Noldor that went ahead of them are now fighting with the Teleri, and people are dying, and they're like, well, shit, yeah. let's go help our people. Yeah, like if you're out, out at the bars or something, and you see your friend getting his ass kicked by somebody you don't like... Well, let's see who started this <laughs> fight. Well, hey, Joel, well, hey. are you in the? I realize you're getting your ribs broken right now, but uh, are you in the wrong here? <laughs> <laughs> should I help you? <laughs> who should I help? You know, maybe you did something really wrong, and I should help him kick your ass. Who knows? Right. But I mean, Fingolfin. I mean, he he just jumped out into the fight. He thought that maybe even the Valar were trying to stop the Noldor from yeah. leaving. He thought maybe the Valar had convinced the Teleri to help them stop the Noldor. Mm-hmm. It was a mess. Anyway, so without rightfully finding out what the cause is, Fingolfin jumps into the fight and defends uh, Feanor and the other Noldor, and that results in just a total slaughter, as we know, the kinslaying of El Colande. Not one of their finer moments, and that's no. one of three kinslayings throughout time. The very first. The first kinslaying. And that kinslaying is kind of what brings about the doom of Mandos. Yes, indeed. Which uh, which is actually what we come to next. So after the slaughter and the theft of the ships, the Noldor go north a little ways and they encounter a dark hooded figure. And it's not really said whether it's Mandos himself or a herald of Mandos. I think it was, I always thought it was Yanwe. You thought it was a Yanwe? That's what I always... Because usually when like somebody's got to go say some shit to somebody... It's usually Yanwe. It's usually Yanwe, yeah. But it was just a dark, cloated... Clo- uh, excuse me. Uh, a dark, hooded figure. And uh, they see him on top of this hill not far from them. And the, he proclaims the doom of Mandos as a result of the kinslaying. And after the declaration of the doom of Mandos... A bunch of them are like, fuck this shit. Yeah. This was obviously a mistake. Yeah, the host of... uh, Everybody in Fenarfin's host is like, we're sorry, can we go back? Mm -hmm. And and they do, yeah. They're allowed to to leave. Yeah, they repent, they turn around, and they head back to Valinor. And they have the uh, favor of the Valar after that. Yeah. But the rest of the Noldor all just kind of double down on leaving. Because they're like, well, we fucked up this much so far. (laughs) I guess we might as well keep on going. And one night, shortly after the Doom of Mandos was given, Feanor and those most loyal to him, they depart in the Teleri ships in secret. Yeah, they just straight up say fuck it to the rest of the Noldor, I guess, after they realized they weren't going to ferry everyone across with these ships that they just committed an atrocity for. And yeah. Like, well, I guess, well, it's one more atrocity. Fuck the rest of the Noldor. And they, uh, they set them ships on fire at a place called Lascar, and that becomes known as the burning of the ships at Lascar. Yeah, and Fingolfin's host can see the burning of the ships from the other side of the sea. And that's how they know... That they're fucked. That they were fucked. <laughs> they were betrayed. <laughs> yep. Feanor wasn't about to send the ships back to help them. And they've already committed to leaving Middle-earth, so what's there's, there's one more... Right, so one. Feanor really fucked over Fingolfin here. Yeah. This was like one of the biggest fuck yous ever. Yeah, dude. And uh, this forces the host of Fingolfin to travel a, da- a pretty dangerous place called uh, the Helcaraxe, 
which is a uh, an ice shelf, more or less, like a glacier, kind of, like a bunch yeah. of glaciers. I mean, it's kind of like the equivalent of the Bering Strait. Right, yeah, it's where the, uh, yeah, where a bunch of ice is, like, in between two continents. Yeah, so it was literally the only way that they could get to Middle Earth after the ships were gone, so they had to basically cross, like, a Middle Earth version of the Bering Strait, but it sounds a lot shittier than the Bering Strait. Yeah, Let's, uh, so it's described as vast fogs and mists of deathly cold, and the sea streams were filled with clashing hills of ice and the grinding of deep, of ice deep sunken. Yeah, and I think it was, uh, was it Ted Naismith who had that really awesome picture of the crossing of... Yeah, I think so. If it's awesome and from the first stage, it's probably Ted Naismith. Yeah, and it just looks like a real desolate place. You should check it out. And so along the way, they lost... What It was like... We saw somewhere, somebody tried to estimate how many people died in the crossing. <laughs> it was like thousands <laughs> of people. I heard one number that was like two million or something Jesus like that. Christ. And I'm like, there's no way... I don't think there's... I don't think two million of them died. That's genocide. That's, <laughs> there's two million of them died on the way over? Yeah, it, no w- way. it was an outrageous number. But I mean, when you think about it, they were the largest host... Yeah, and they had thousands of people, and they had to just cross this this strait of just broken ice sheets, and they yeah they lost mm-hmm. a lot of people, including that, uh, uh is, is, is it Turgon's wife? Yes, Turgon's wife, I believe. Yep, yeah, yeah, it was Turgon's wife that died. Yeah, and he never remarried after never that. Never remarried. Yeah, it was a really that's a sad story on its own, but I'm sure we'll talk about Turgon in the future. So naturally, this loss of life only greatly increased the wrath and bitterness felt against the host of Feanor. But eventually, the host of Fingolfin finally arrived in Middle-earth, and they actually arrived in Middle-earth at the first rising of the sun. Yeah, dude. What a time Yeah, to this arrive. is It's a big event. I mean, this is when Fingolfin first sets foot with his host into Middle-earth. This is the rising of the sun, and this also marks the very beginning of the first age. Yeah, it also sounds like a Led Zeppelin song. Like a host of Naldor coming off this huge sheet of ice. <laughs> boom, boom, <ba-da-da-da-da. laughs> At the rising of the That's sun. At the rising of the sun, yeah. Let the first age begin. <laughs> Gnarly guitar solo. Yeah. So we actually got a little quote about uh, the coming of Fingolfin's host into Middle-earth. But as the host of Fingolfin marched into Mithrim, the sun rose flaming in the west, and Fingolfin unfurled his blue and silver banners and blew his horns and flowers sprang beneath his marching feet, and the ages of the stars were ended. What a glorious moment. Wow. Beautiful. I think that's the first official spring that Middle-earth had ever had, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, it's the first official like season, really, isn't it? I think there was a like a technical spring when they had the lamps, wasn't there? Yeah, the spring of Arda. Yeah, that was when everything mm-hmm. was... But yeah. this is like the first spring of the ages, I guess. Mm-hmm. First spring of the first age. So now that they're back in Middle-earth, then they get to come in contact once again with Melkor and his servants. Yeah, they get into it pretty much right as they step foot on land. Not Well, not initially, not right off the bat... Because at the rising of the sun, all of Melkor's servants fled underground. Oh, that's right. Never mind. They totally took off. There was, uh, yeah, all the servants are gone. They're scared of the sun. Right. But, I mean, Fingolfin is still fucking pissed off at Melkor. Because Finway was, Fingolfin's dead, too. 
Yeah. So as soon as they set foot in Middle Earth and the sun rises and all of Melkor's hosts run and hide, uh, Fingolfin just marches straightway, just right up to Angband, right up to the doors, because everyone's underground hiding. And this is when he challenges Melkor for the first time. But naturally, Melkor and his servants are still totally dismayed by this new flaming ball in the sky. Yeah. And they stay hidden underground. They're not having any of that. Yeah, no, they're not. He's, he's not quite sure what to do at this point. There's a, there's a line somewhere in the Silmarillion that mentions that the Noldor would have actually had a chance to overthrow Melkor if they had acted while he was hiding from the sun. Yeah, and he was the, originally dismayed by it all. Yeah, if they would have... Because the Feanor's hosts, when they arrived, they get attacked by orcs, right? Right, because that's before the sun. That's before the sun. And then, yeah, the, so they come later. If they would have just, as soon as, like, what up, Fingolfin? What up, Feanor? Sorry about that back there. It's all good. Um, let's do let's this. Do this. Let's right. do this thing. This is why we're here. Yeah, because uh, that's when Feanor dies, right? Like in that first initial battle. Uh, after stars. after that, uh, yeah, the battle under the stars, he just charges right through up to Angband and mm-hmm. Gothmog. And he gets, gets wounded. Him. But this isn't about Feanor. No, that was last episode. That was last episode. Bengolfin. So after his initial attempt to confront Melkor at the gates of Angband, yeah, you know, nobody showed because of the sun. Then he, Fingolfin, turns around and he leads his host back, uh, back west to Mithrim to rejoin the rest of the host of Feanor, who are hanging out around Lake Mithrim. And so this is going to be the first time that these two hosts have met have up seen each other since, since yeah. they the one fucked the other over. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's that's a pretty big fuck over. Like yeah. they had to cross the hell correct. Yeah, get dude, here. I'd be mad. Yeah, I'd, th- yeah. I mean, due to that tension. The hosts of Feanor actually had to relocate to the south shore of the lake because yeah. they just weren't going to get along. Yeah, they were just like we'll we'll move to that side of the yeah, lake. Yeah, they were the smaller, <laughs> they were the smaller hosts, and they're kind of the ones in the wrong. So they're like, I guess we'll just, we'll, I guess we'll take our leave. <laughs> we'll take our leave and go to the other <laughs> side of the lake for now. So shortly after Feanor's death, his oldest son Madros is captured by Morgoth, and uh, Morgoth chains him by one arm to the precipice of a mountain. Yeah, he's just kind of hanging there. It's kind of reminiscent of uh, Prometheus. That's what happens to Prometheus in Greek mythology. He gets chained by the uh, by the wrists to the face of a mountain. Yeah, and then the birds come eat him. And then birds right. come tear out his intestines every yeah. day, yeah. Yeah. Uh, granted, I don't think birds come and tear out Madros's <laughs> intestines every day. No. But, but he, is, um, uh, he is later rescued by... Uh, Fingon, and it said, um, it's important to note that the friendship of Fingon and Madros goes back a long way. Like this goes back mm-hmm. to Valinor. So when they burnt the ships at Lascar, which we talked about in the last episode, Madros refuses to take part in the burning of the ships because he knows Fingon's on the other side, mm-hmm. and he's not about to screw his cousin over. Yeah, Madros and Fingon's friendship goes back before any of the bad blood was around. Mm-hmm. And of the, just in general, of the seven sons of Feanor, I mean, they're pretty much all dicks, because they all do yeah, terrible shit. Yeah, they do shit. terrible things. But, but Madros is the coolest. Yeah, he's the least dickish of yeah. them. He's, he's the one that actually has some shred of humanity that we see now and then. Like, yeah. you know, like the friendship with him and Fingon. Mm-hmm. So yeah. kind of as a as an act of goodwill between the houses, uh, Fingon goes and rescues Madros from the face of this mountain. Yeah. And he initially gets there and uh, he sings, right? And Madros hears him and he asks him to kill him with his bow. Yeah. Yeah. Fingon's like, no, fuck all that. So he just chops the arm off, the hand off. Mm -hmm. And uh, Madros becomes one of those famous one-handed characters in Tolkien. 
<laughs> one of the many <laughs> one of the many Tolkien characters that are missing uh, some sort of appendage. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if we mentioned specifically that uh, Fingon is the son of Fingolfin. Right, right. So, yeah, so this is kind of a way to heal the wounds between the houses right. as they see it. And this also leads to a very important uh, moment. Very important. Um, because at this point, because Feanor is dead, mm-hmm. High King of the Noldor is Maedros because he's the eldest son of, uh, of Fingon. Or uh, mm. of Feanor, excuse me. And uh, so he cedes the, the high kingship of the Noldor to the House of Fingolfin as a gesture of goodwill. Yep, for being, basically for being rescued. Yeah. So this is when Fingolfin first becomes high king of the Noldor, and this is in year seven of the first age. So they've been in Middle-earth about seven years by the time this happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, at after this, Fingolfin would rule as high king of the Noldor for around 450 years. So he had a pretty long rule as high king. And the Noldor um, that pretty much immediately started setting up setting up some pretty dope uh, kingdoms in uh, in Beleriand. Yeah, well, Morgoth is hiding underground from the new daylight of the sun and the light of the moon. This is when the Noldor take the time to set up their kingdoms mm-hmm. because there's a, a little lull in all of the attacks, basically. Yeah. And what attacks did happen during this time after they got all their kingdoms established? I mean. They were repelled super easily because yeah. I mean after the Noldor got they're their, dug in yeah. yeah they're dug in they got all their their kingdoms established and Melkor is still not quite on top of this whole sun business so the attacks that come after that are all repelled with relative ease yeah. it's a really nice time for the Noldor in Middle Earth and after um, <clears throat> what is known as the Dagor Aglarev which is that's the the glorious battle right yeah it's like a complete victory for the yeah Noldor. that was a crushing victory well the, where the Noldor just crushed uh the forces of melkor and um after that it established what was called the siege of angband and it was uh it was relative peace and uh he ruled uh from fingolfin ruled from within hithlum yeah it was a peace that it was like a watchful peace that lasted something like 400 years just around and we've got a little excerpt about that about the uh, excuse me we've got a little excerpt about the uh, dagor agler of the glorious the glorious battle. battle But Fingolfin and Maedros were not sleeping, and they came upon the main host of Melkor from either side as it was assaulting Dorthonion. And they defeated the servants of Morgoth, and pursuing them across Ardgalin, destroyed them utterly, to the least and last, within sight of Angband's gates. That battle was named Dagor Aglareb, the Glorious Battle. Yeah, it's a cool time. Yeah, it's kind of the height of their time, I guess, in Middle Earth, yeah. being able to <laughs> defend themselves. Because yeah. after this, this is like they're just, they can't so much. I can just imagine them like it looks like life here in Beleriand is going to be super easy from now on. <laughs> no, that's yeah, yeah, that's basically how the, that's basically how it's described yeah. in the Silmarillion. They're all just like, oh, this is going to be so easy. Yeah. We're scared of these orcs. They're nothing. They're nothing. We're going to establish super long, enduring kingdoms that'll never, ever fall or have anything terrible happen to them. I mean, it's sort of true. By the time anything happens, these kingdoms have been around for like 400 years. Yeah. But that brings us up to the first uh, major downfall for them. Yeah. This is what, the third or fourth battle of Beleriand? This is the fourth, I believe. Okay. We're talking about the Dagor Bragolak. Bragolak. So this kind of brings us toward the end of Fingolfin's life. Yeah. So in the middle of the first stage. And uh, though the elves were able to contain Morgoth's orcs, they did not possess the strength to attack Angband directly. 
Yeah, it's a pretty strong stronghold. Uh, so that siege, that watchful peace, lasted for 400 years. And uh, Melkor spent his time uh, working down there. Yeah, he was. He may have not been active above ground, but... Yeah, he was doing some nefarious shit down there. <laughs> he was increasing his strength and his numbers of his forces, and he even created some new deadly creatures. Yeah. And in First Age 455, on a cold winter's night... When the elf watch was least vigilant, guess what happens? The gates of Angban burst open. And Melkor sends out rivers of lava and flame and poisonous fumes. And they cross the plains of Ardgarlin. Ardgalin. And the green plains are transformed into a barren desert, which was renamed Anfauglith. Which is uh, means the gasping dust. Yeah, they said previously that Ardgalin was supposed to be just like a beautiful plain. They'd let horses graze there yeah, because yeah. they'd get particularly strong off of all the the well-growing grass and things that were out there. And now it's mm-hmm. just yeah. Can you imagine like this big a pr- like a big prairie? So it's like mountains on one side, big prairie, and then an evil-looking mountain, <laughs> yeah. like evil like three, three evil, mountains over there, evil peaks with like smoke coming out of them. Yeah, there. but just in in the in the middle. Beautiful prairie land. Just vast prairie. It's supposed to be gorgeous. I imagine it's somewhat like southeastern Minnesota before yeah. farming. Prairie, a lot of prairie lands. Yeah. So in this immediate onslaught, this bursting forth of fire and fumes, many, many elves were immediately killed by the flames. I mean, it was supposed to be like rivers of flame and lava that just like came rolling out from yeah, Angban. Not good. And behind the flames came Belrogs, trolls, legions of orcs, Glaurung, and other monsters that they don't really name. So this isn't just some band of orcs that they've been dealing with trying no. to attack one of their strongholds. They, I mean, they've already completely eradicated anyone in front of them with lava and fire, and now there's like... And now they're bringing out the tanks, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Just monsters, man. We've got a quote about the initial onslaught of the Dagor Bragalock here from the Silmarillion. Then suddenly Morgoth sent forth great rivers of flame that ran down swifter than Belrogs from Thangoradrim and over all the plain. Thus Ardgalan perished and therefore its name was changed and it was called Aunfauglith, the Gasping Dust. Many charred bones had there their roofless grave, for many of the Noldor perished in that burning, who were caught by the running flame and could not fly to the hills. In front of that fire came Glaurung the Golden, father of dragons, in his full might, and in his train were Balrogs, and behind them came black armies of the orcs in multitudes such as the Noldor had never before seen or imagined. War ceased not wholly ever again in Beleriand. Yeah, so there goes your little peace, your little era of peace. Yeah, it's done. This is the beginning of the uh, Dark Times, as we've described it before. This is actually when the three chief tales of the First Age take place. Yeah, well, yeah, this is where they begin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is kind of the setup point for the three major tales. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the stuff Well, I mean, no, the the Nirnaeth is... Well, the, B- Bragalak sets up uh, Baron and Luthien. Right, which right. is the first. Yeah, which is the first, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. And, yeah, I feel like everything up until this point, like everything that's happened 
in Middle Earth up until this point. It's kind of been like a long prologue up until this point. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is when shit really hits the fan. And this is when we really start to get some of those super rich Tolkien yeah. stories from the first age. This is when it stops getting so broad. Uh, right. When the stories like start to kind of flourish a little bit more. Because This might just be my observation, but I feel like a lot of the major stories that Tolkien likes to tell usually take place in, like, I don't know, in a part of history where you're kind of, you're thrown into the middle of something. Yeah. He doesn't use his big stories to, like, you know, build up civilization or anything. Like, his major stories start when shit starts happening. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, they're all, like, major historical events are always the linchpin for his smaller yeah, stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, we have, or will at this point, I guess I'm not quite sure where it is at this point, <laughs> we will go over some of the major battles of Beleriand more in depth, but uh, for this point, for this episode, we're just going to kind of review what the general results were of the of the Dagor Bragalock, because it was a major point in history. So let's get into who dies. Yeah. Let's start <laughs> off with all the death. All the death. So, uh, Agnor and Angrod of the Sons of Finarfin, those are Finrod's brothers, they are killed. Dead. And Bregolas from the House of Beor, he's dead. Yeah, because at this point, we uh, we hadn't mentioned quite yet in this episode, but uh, men have recently entered Beleriand for the first time. Right, yeah, we didn't mention that. This battle involves men. Yeah, this is one of the first major battles to involve men. Yeah. Or, I guess, the slaughter of men. The slaughter, the wholesale slaughter of men. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, also, Hador from the other house. Ha- the House of Hador is yeah, killed. from the Dor- namesake. Yeah, from Dor Loman, yeah. And then... Uh, Maglor's horsemen were burned alive on the plain of Lothlan, which was uh, a little a fun part of the battle. Yeah, <laughs> that that whole po- the, at the very beginning of the battle, all that running flame just just torched all the open plains, all the horses and the horsemen. Yes, and the death toll for the elves was uh, very high. It was pretty high for everybody, but the elves they took the brunt of it. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, that was kind. That's kind of where Melkor's gripe is is with the elves. We tried we tried to find specific numbers for the death tolls, but I I couldn't find anything. I don't know if you'd seen anything. No, not really. But it was supposed to be just outrageously high. And uh you are a dwarf expert. Dwarves are not in this battle, correct? Right, not yet. Not yet. Mm-hmm. But they are in the near nath. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So at this point after the battle, uh, Tolsirian and Maglor's Gap were both taken. And uh, that gave Morgoth basically the entry to go south into Beleriand that he was looking from for. I, yeah, from either direction. From either direction, yeah. yeah. From the from the northwest or the northeast, he was able to just spill down and do whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. And Finrod and Orodreth, they fled to, uh, back to Nargothrond from Tolsirian because... Yeah, they were the ones holding that gap. Yeah, because uh, Tolsirian, they originally called Minas Tirith, which, as we know from our Minas Tirith episode, translates to... Silver Tower, White Tower? Tower of Guard. Oh. Yeah. Tower of Guard. Sorry. Yeah, but anyway, that's all fucked up. They <laughs> Sauron takes that, takes control of that. Um, Kelegorm and Kurufin, they also go back down to Nargothrond. Yeah, because Kelegorm and Kurufin's land, that was up in the northwest near Maglor's Gap. That got all fucked that up. That got all So they had to find some place else to go. So they were kind of refugees in Nargothrond after that. Uh, Maglor retreated back to uh, his territory with heavy losses, and he was uh, in a place called Himring, which is over in the northeast of Beleriand, correct? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Karanthir fled over south, fled down south to Amon Ereb with Amrod. With Amrod, excuse me, his brother. His brother. I think that's where Amrod and Amros. 
I think that's where they were hanging out. That's yeah. where they were based, down in south. And Morgoth's orcs took the mountain forests of Mount Rainier. Uh, excuse me. I was going to say Mount Rainier because that's mm-hmm. in fucking Washington. <laughs> <laughs> Mount Rainier, and they defiled Lake Helivorn, which sucks. I imagine that uh, one of the best ways to uh, to uh, wholesale defile Lake Helivorn would be. Have you ever seen that video with the Cannonball Duke? You ever seen that? Where, yeah, I think so. Where that dude? That's I think I've seen it as a as a repeating gif. It's just yeah. someone with a naked dude on the. It's dock. a video, yeah, and it's a naked man who jumps off of a dock, and before he hits the water, he takes his shit, and the turd just <laughs> bloops into the water just before he does. So I imagine that's the orcs are doing this constantly. They're just shitting into. the They're place. just cannonball duking. <laughs> like that's how they're like, master, we must defile the lake. How will we do this? And they're just like. Cannonball Duke! And then it's just thousands of orcs pooping in the water. I love that video. It's super funny. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. just like sprinting off a dock and then pulling his (laughs) knees up for a cannonball and just... (laughs) Yeah, it's... it's, That person's a hero. (laughs) I always feel concerned for his dog who jumps in. Yeah, the dog jumps right on top of the turd. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we digress. So High King Fingolfin, uh, he was so distraught and enraged by the loss... That he rode straight to Angband and confronted and caught and fought Melkor himself. And that's what we talked about in the beginning. Yeah, that was the opening excerpt was his ride over there. Um, So we've actually broken down the rest of that story. Because the way that it's told in the Silmarillion is just too beautiful not to read out loud. Yeah. So we're just going to kind of cover that story by continuing the excerpt. Yeah. So here we go. So here we go. Then Morgoth hurled aloft Gran, the hammer of the underworld, and swung it down like a bolt of thunder. But Fingolfin sprang aside, and Grand rent a mighty pit in the earth, whence smoke and fire darted. Many times Morgoth essayed to smite him, and each time Fingolfin leaped away as a lightning shoots from under a dark cloud. And he wounded Morgoth with seven wounds, and seven times Morgoth g- gave cry of anguish, Whereat the hosts of Angband fell upon their faces in dismay. Yeah, that was like... So orcs are literally like watching this. Like, no! No, my lord! No! Right. And I mean, I just think it's crazy. So he just, as we mentioned in the opening excerpt, he was so pissed off that people thought he was one of the Valar as he fucking rode in fury Mm -hmm. up to Angband. And now here he's actually fighting Melkor himself. He's just an elf. Mm-hmm. And like most of the Valar couldn't take Melkor on one-on-one until they got Tolkas. And here <laughs> Fingolfin's just like, let's fucking do this. This is <laughs> this is yeah. enough. I'm done with this shit. Let's, let's settle this shit now. I just thought of a funny crossover where we could cross over two of my favorite things, right? Okay. So you remember the scene in A Clockwork Orange where like the big fight scene where he fights the other gang in the beginning? Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember the line? <laughs> Come and get one in the yarbles. <laughs> if you've got any yarbles, thou eunuch jellyfish, thou. <laughs> yeah, that's what's happening here. He's coming. To yeah, basically. He's coming to say, come and get one in the yarbles if you've got any. And he fucking does. He He's just an elf and he wounds Morgoth seven times. Seven times. That is super impressive. And, he, and one of which is he mutilates the shit out of his foot. Yeah. To the point where he can't, he never like walks right again. Like, yeah. An know. elf wounded Morgoth seven times and then fucked up his foot to the point where he had a limp forever. Like yeah. that's saying something. Mm-hmm. Damn. So let's continue this excerpt, part two of the excerpt. Here we go. But at the last, the king grew weary 
and Morgoth bore down his shield upon him. Thrice he was crushed to his knees, and thrice he arose again and bore up his broken shield and stricken helm. But the earth was all rent and pitted about him, and he stumbled and fell backward before the feet of Morgoth, and Morgoth set his left foot upon his neck. Yet with his last and desperate stroke, Fingolfin hewn the foot with Ringil, and the blood gushed forth black and smoking, and filled the pits of Grand. Thus Fingolfin, high king of the Noldor, most proud and valiant of the kings of old, died. Right on. Yeah, and when Fingolfin died, he was 3,426 years old. Just a young boy. Just a young strapping lad. Snow cured in the shipwright, that's for goddamn no. sure. No. No, Kyrdan. no cured in the shipwright. Is that the first cured in the sh- is that the first cured in the shipwright reference of season three? That might be. Yeah, yeah. Go back and check the season finale of season one. Check the tapes. Check the tapes. <laughs> cured in the shipwright, our favorite character. But uh, back to more solemn topics. Yes. After Fingolfin died, Melkor took his body and broke it, and was about to throw it to the wolves for dinner. When Thorindor took the king's body, Thorindor being the lord of the eagles of Manway. Yeah, you get this epic moment. I mean, it's I guess it's not epic at all. It's quite distressing because there was this epic battle and then Fingolfin gets killed and Melkor is about to... He already broke his body. I don't even quite know what that... I, fig, I, I, I feel like that he just, just means, Yeah, fucking broke it. Like that. Yeah, just <laughs> took it in his two hands and just... <laughs> like the rabbits, and like Gollum. Yeah. Like, is it a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's about to throw it to his wolves when this giant eagle comes down. Which we just learned is a hundred its wingspan is a hundred and eighty feet. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. Thorndor's wingspan, tip to tip, one hundred and eighty feet. Imagine that. That's, That's gotta crazy. be like eighty foot wings on either, like how thick the body of the bird is. Right. I don't I, know. All right, I don't know. That's it's yeah. a huge freaking bird, guys. It's a big old bird. Big bird. Big bird, yeah. We've actually got another little excerpt about Thorndor. Fucking up Melkor. And Morgoth took the body of the elven king and broke it, and would cast it to his wolves. But Thorondor came hastening from his eyrie among the peaks of the Chrysagrim, and he stooped upon Morgoth and marred his face. The rushing of the wings of Thorondor was like the noise of the winds of Manway, and he seized the body in his mighty talons, and soaring suddenly above the darts of the orcs, he bore the king away. It's one epic bird. Yeah. Like we said, 30 fathoms wide, 180 feet. Yeah. Fucking massive. And he fucked up Melkor's face, too. Yes, that's another thing. We were, I was just talking to somebody, uh, one of our fans on the internet, and uh, he was telling me that he's pissed off that people do first age work, artwork, and they show uh, Melkor. They don't add the seven wounds and the facial, like the, yeah. like his foot isn't fucked up like it should be, and they don't add the scarring on his face. Yeah, it's true, because he, didn't he have like a major scar over one of his eyes or something like that? Yeah, because lines? he nearly got blinded by fucking Thorndor. Yeah. yeah, in that fight, he got seven wounds, he got his foot all marred and fucked up, so he got a limp, and then he got one of his eyes fucked up. Like, yeah. Fingolfin didn't kill him, but damn, just him and Thorndor together in that one assault, they they fucked him up more than anyone else. He'll never forget that, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> gosh darn it. That'll be a fight you'll never forget, that's for sure, huh? Oh, and then I just, every time I think of how much that fucking sucks, I just think of that awesome scene when he gets his feet hewn out from under him. Yeah. At the end of the first When stage. they cut the remainder of his one and a half other feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They 
he begs for pity, and they're just like, fuck you, Melkor. Goodbye to your feet. Chaining you up. You're done. You're done. So Thorondor, he brings uh, Fingolfin's body to a mountaintop overlooking Gondolin. And there, uh, Turgon built a cairn over the remains. And uh, it stood until the changing of the world, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's another one of those points, geographical points that they say, like, stayed as an oh, island no, for true. a while. That's true. Uh, this is an island for a while. Yeah, and then at the end of the Second Age, it gets it destroyed, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't really know. They um, don't, at the end of the Second Age, they don't really say what, what gets disappears destroyed. and what doesn't. But so things do. I like to think that the the island where his current is is still there. I like to think that Tolmorwin is still there, the saddest point. Yeah, ever. saddest point <laughs> in history. And then they say also that... Um, the peak of Numenor is still an island somewhere. Yeah. The Mental Tarma. Mental Tarma, yeah. That's actually, I think that has a lot to do with the Unfinished Tales, right? Yeah, I think they talk about that. They talk about that a lot. The secret island. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. Well, okay, so so that's the death of uh, Fingolfin, everybody. Yeah. Sad to see him go. Yeah, that fight scene with him and Melkor, I think, is like one of my favorite fight scenes. Because yeah, that's like what you would have expected out of Feanor. Yeah, dude. But Feanor was too brash and he died. Yeah, Balrog's got him. So after Fingolfin's death, uh, his son Fingon went on to be High King of the Noldor. And Fingolfin became known as the strongest, most steadfast, and most valiant of the Sons of Finway. And he is also called the most proud and valiant of the elven kings of old. So he's just given a buttload of titles. Because, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, who else rode up and fought Melkor hand-to-hand? Yeah, man. Nobody. That's who. Nobody. All right, guys. So what did, uh, what did we learn about today, man? We learned uh, all about Fingolfin, Prince of the Noldor, right? Yeah. So we kind of learned about his origins, his history with his family early on. His family history. <laughs> his yeah. family. Yeah, that's a mess. <laughs> um, we learned all about his travels to Middle Earth and then some of his confrontations after he got there. Setting up kingdoms and then eventual downfall. Yeah. Fingolfin's history is pretty key as basically a prelude to all of the, like we said, the major tales that happen mm-hmm. in the First Age. Yeah. I don't know. I I really like Fingolfin. I think he's probably my favorite of the princes of the Noldor. Um, I don't know about you. I might like. Well, I have this weird love hate relationship with Fanor, but I oh, also yeah. um, really like Felagund. Yeah, Felagund is probably a very close second for yeah. me because Finrod Felagund is like the. I think he's described as the fairest, right? The fairest of all the yeah. elves. Yeah, the fairest and most beloved. Yeah, he's Dude, quite noble too. So we might be talking about that next week. I don't know. Right? Maybe. Hmm, I guess we'll uh hmm, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> we'll guess we'll find out. <laughs> All right, guys. Well thanks so much for listening. This is uh this has been Keep on Tolkien. Well uh, Yeah, this has been part two of our three parter on Princes of the Noldor. Thanks yeah. for thanks for listening through with us. Yeah. And so uh hit us up on uh social media in the off time, guys. We got a Facebook, we got a Twitter, we got an Instagram and a YouTube channel. Oh yeah, and you can pretty much find the podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts if you have to go out of your way to find this. Uh, just go check out wherever you normally get your podcast, and we should be there. Yeah. Uh, the co- the podcasting app that I use has us on it. Oh, yeah. Which is really weird, because I use it to listen to like you know all the NPR podcasts and all that and stuff. And then you get all the updates for everything and I get, that Yeah, do. I get updates from us. It's like I can tell when Joel has uploaded the episode, because a, a notification comes up from my casting app. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Um, oh. Also, there's uh, the Patreon. Yeah, I can't forget. Come yeah. check us out on Patreon. It's new for us, and we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, and uh, the, what Patreon is, briefly, is uh, is a way for you to donate to uh, help us create content for you. 
And uh, you get to set your own donation. It's a monthly subscription. Mm-hmm. Anywhere from one to a billion dollars a month. Yeah, whatever uh, hint hint you want to give, whether it's closer to one or a billion, <laughs> that is up to you. <laughs> and uh, also, what it also does is it gives you exclusive content, which we work on. And it's all, it's all really fun, too. Yeah. We kind of designed the Patreon stuff to be really fun. Yeah, it's, a, th- it's, it's a thank you for, for helping us out, because uh, every, every dollar that we get in Patreon does seriously help us out a lot with with keeping things going and so we thought we'd do some fun yeah. stuff i would say that would you say joel that the patreon content is keep on tolkien unbridled oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah i mean yeah. most of the stuff that's on there uh it's i, I think everything we've recorded so far is not only not safe for work but i think we were a little drunk when we oh yeah recorded we, t- we tend to have uh, we, we tend to have a few drinks when we record patreon it's a l- it's a lot of fun so whereas <laughs> like these episodes are a lot more informative and stuff and we banter in between the, the patreon stuff is just kind of us <laughs> yeah <laughs> fully loose yeah fully lo- loosey-goosey you know yeah, little loosey-goosey all right guys well that's all for us today um i i've been danny J. And I have been Joel N. (laughs) (laughs) As always, guys. Keep on talking. Keep on talking. Aure and Tuluba.